taken some time to say, hey, this this assignment or this test that I'm really worked up about in the long run is, is not going to completely change the course of my life because it isn't. Going into a field thinking you're not going to make a mistake is unrealistic. It's going to happen. I mean, once I accepted, I can do my best and that's all I can do. If I've left the day feeling like I've done everything I can, I put in 100%, that's enough for me. You found Wolfpack Career Chats, and this is Marcy Bullock from the Career Development Center at North Carolina State University. I'm the creator of the podcast. Welcome to season four. This season will focus on versions of you, who you were, who you are, and who you will be, and we'll have exciting guests explore their journey. We're all still cooking friends, so no one put a fork in us yet. Enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners. It's Marcy Bullock today with Elise Daniels. Hi, Elise. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Well, this is going to be such a fun conversation. I've been looking forward to it because I saw you were highlighted recently in the Wolfpack Alumni Magazine, and you're an alum that's super successful on TikTok, which I know is very popular with our generation of students. So why don't we start off with saying, what did you want to be when you grew up and what are you now? Yeah, that is kind of a loaded question. I mean, when I was a kid, I definitely considered being a vet, which NC State is also has a fantastic veterinary program. But I think by high school, I kind of had moved away from that and knew that I enjoyed science. And that was about it. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I liked science. And that was pretty much as far as I got in terms of and career goal. So when I got into the life sciences first year program, which I think I was the very first class to graduate in that program. I've talked to them a couple of times and it was a great program. But when I got into that program, I was kind of like, this is perfect. I can explore some different sciences because I really have no idea what I want to do. That's such a great story, Elise, because I know a lot of students are like that. They say, well, I'm not really an English person. You know, I didn't love the humanities, but I'm great at problem solving. And I, you know, took AP bio in high school and did really well. And I like to solve problems. So you decided to study genetics without a clear plan of where that would launch a career. And what happened next? How did you get into the field? Yeah. So while I was studying genetics, a lot of my peers were planning on going into genetic counseling school, which is very popular with a genetics degree. There are some that were going off to med school. And so I, I kind of looked into those things because I'm like, okay, my peers are going this way. Let me look into what they're doing, see if it's something that I may like. And I knew after I did some research, I was like, med school is not for me. I don't want it enough to put myself through that. Same thing with genetic counseling. I really wanted something where I had some sort of lab work because I did enjoy the classes where I had labs but I didn't want to do research. I knew that I needed something that had more instant gratification. I had done some research in my undergrad and it was just a lot of repetition. And I was there for a year and no research paper came out. It's just such a long process with research. I knew that that wasn't going to be a good fit for me. So I, I really felt like what I wanted may not exist. I was like, okay, these are the things that I liked from these jobs. 
Now, what jobs can I find that incorporate these things? And I did a lot of searching, Google searching, like what can I do with a genetics degree? And, you know, all of these things. I always had a little bit of an interest in reproductive health and women's health, sex education, that sort of thing. So there were some nonprofit positions and things like that. And I was like, well, you know, I do have a science degree. I want something that's, you know, somewhat in a lab. And I just happened upon embryology at one point And I was like, this seems like it could be a really good fit. There's lab work but I also get to talk to patients and it's really cool lab work. So that led me to reaching out to the clinics, you know, in the triangle area. I really just cold emailed all of them. <laughs> I was like, Hey, I'm a student. I'm interested in this. Can I come shadow you? Can I come talk to you? Anything you're willing to give me, I will take. And that kind of got my foot in the door. And that really gave me my first step into all the training and, you know, becoming an embryologist. That is a wonderful story. And especially hearing you talk about, you know, testing the waters out with being in a research setting and realizing, hey, that's not for me. And then going on for the medical school, you were like, no, that's not for me. And it's so hard to know all the possible options. So I love that you just began exploring and then did these cold call reaching out. So explain what an embryologist is and what kind of work you've been doing for the last few years. And why it's meaningful to you. Yeah, it is a fantastic career. I'll put that out in the front. <laughs> but an embryologist is someone who is working in the IVF lab and they are responsible for basically all of the embryo culture. You know, I am responsible for freezing embryos, thawing embryos, doing embryo transfers, inseminating eggs, freezing eggs. I even deal with sperm from time to time. So there's such a wide variety of different types of procedures. I never feel like I'm bored. And like you were saying, it's very rewarding for me. I get much more instant gratification. You know, typically within a week or so, I know whether I did a good job on a case because a patient will have embryos or they won't have embryos. And, you know, the embryologist can't control everything, but it makes you feel good when a patient does really well. You're like, oh my gosh, I helped create that. And, you know, it blows my mind to know that I created someone's child like that. When I think too much about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, how can we even do this? It's so crazy. And there's nothing better than having a patient bring in their child that you saw literally as two cells. And I mean, it just, it's a fantastic feeling and they're so grateful for it. And it's the family that they've been wanting and, you know, you helped give them that. And it's a very rewarding job. I'm getting chills just hearing you talk about it because some of the things that you just mentioned are so impactful with the happiness of a person who's building a family. So what is IVF and why does someone need to know about it? Let's say a college student who is just thinking, well, one day, you know, maybe I'll be a mom. Yeah. So IVF stands for in vitro fertilization. And that is when we are taking eggs from a person who produces eggs, taking sperm from a person who produces sperm, combining them and creating an embryo. And then we're putting that embryo back into a uterus and hoping that that results in a healthy pregnancy and a healthy birth, healthy baby. And there are a lot of reasons why someone may do IVF. You know, a lot of the couples that I've seen are struggling with infertility. They haven't been able to conceive on their own. They may have tried other you know, treatment options and things like that. And they've gotten to the point where, you know, IVF may be one of their only options left. And, you know, some people may do IVF for genetic concerns, you know, maybe them and their partner are carriers of cystic fibrosis, and they want to make sure that their baby doesn't have cystic fibrosis. You know, patients who are undergoing cancer treatments may decide that they want to freeze their eggs 
or freeze their sperm to make sure that they still have a chance to have a family after they finish their chemo. So there's a lot of reasons why patients come and see us, but majority of the patients are infertility patients, patients who have been trying to conceive for some time naturally and haven't been able to do that on their own. And what about couples that maybe don't have a sperm because it's to people that identify as women? And how does this work with them? And is this a popular thing at the clinics you've worked at? Yeah, so we work with a lot of LGBTQ plus people and families, couples. There are a lot of options for them as well. And so that's always a a group that I like to highlight. There are a lot of options for building those families. Donor sperm, donor eggs, gestational carriers. Those are all options that they have available to them to help build the family that they're envisioning. So, you know, when a patient or a couple comes in, we talk to them like, what is your family vision? Do you envision, you know, yourself having multiple kids or just one, or do you envision yourself caring or maybe your partner or things like that? And and we can help make that vision become a reality. So you became an expert on this and clearly have a great deal of knowledge and have impacted so many people in a positive way. And you took to TikTok to educate people. Tell me a little bit about why you did that and what happened when you started recording your videos. Yes. So (laughs) I noticed in the patient population that in the clinic that I was working at, that I was getting the same questions kind of over and over. And it was made very clear that I'm like, okay, these patients aren't getting the knowledge that I think that they're getting, you know, that there's a lot of information that goes into to IVF and the whole process. And so I can definitely understand why it's not always covered because it's a lot of information. So I said, you know what, let me create something. If patients that I'm seeing don't know this information, patients everywhere probably don't know this information. So I actually started out on Instagram. We started there. My siblings who are a little bit younger than me were the ones that were like, no, you should get on TikTok. You know, you'll reach more people, this and that. And I'm glad that I listened to them because that is now where majority of my following is on TikTok. And, you know, I just kind of started posting. I was just like, this is something that I think is cool. I'm going to post it and see what happens. And eventually I had a video blow up here and a video blow up there. And that really grew my following. And it's been so cool to see Like I get messages from patients all over the world who are like, you taught me this or you taught me that or wanting to update me on their journey. And it's just so cool. I've met so many amazing people and gotten so many cool opportunities, including this one. I mean, to be included in NC State's alumni magazine, out of all the things I've done, that was the biggest honor, like, because <laughs> I loved my time at NC State. So it was super cool. But I am glad that my siblings pushed me to do TikTok. <laughs> it's nice you had a little younger generation there telling you where all the followers are. And people just started watching and liking. And like you said, it blew up and, and became viral. So when you think about the growth that's happened in your life, if you were to fill in the sentence, I was, What would you say there? Because we're focusing on different versions of a human and how they transform over their life. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. I mean, I was a person who put a lot of pressure on myself, who wasn't necessarily the most confident person in terms of you know, academics. I always got good grades, but I had to work really hard for them. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to get those good grades. And so I was very uptight, very stressed all the time. And you know, that ended up taking a toll in the long run. But yeah, I was I was definitely a person who put more pressure on myself than anybody else ever did. And I know students that I encounter on campus 
are feeling that can relate to that a great deal. And, you know, we're now welcoming the class of 2026 and they're starting their journey. And I know I'm sitting there going, all right, everybody, it's going to, it's going to turn out okay. What advice would you give to this group who's, you know, sitting there and tally there you were and your life sciences first year, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And you felt anxious. What would you say to this group? Yeah, it makes me emotional because it was such a fantastic time that I had there. I just wish I had taken more advantage of some of the fun things that were going on, you know, in the long run. I mean, I'm happy that I did well in school. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm happy that I did well, but I wish I had spent a little bit more time having fun. You know, now that I'm out of school, I've been out of school for four years now. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at my GPA, <laughs> you know, they, they, they want to look at the, they look at the other things. And, you know, I just wish I had not put so much pressure on myself and had a little fun. I mean, not all the time because that's a whole nother side of a, the spectrum, you know, but taking some time to say, Hey, this, this assignment or this test that I'm really worked up about in the long run is, is not going to completely change the course of my life because it isn't. And that relaxing time or that time with friends or that time meeting new people is really valuable. And so definitely don't, don't push that aside all the time. You know, sometimes you got to push it aside when you got a, a big test or something, but every so often give in, give in to that friend group and say, Hey, yeah, I'll join you join you here, join you there for, for an hour or two and get back to studying another time. That's very important to hear. And we don't ever want to say grades don't matter, but you're so right. Once you get that first job, no one asks you your GPA. So that's not the only part of your identity. I'm so glad you said that. So from that person that you mentioned who was putting so much pressure on yourself and now to this huge success on TikTok, how would you fill in the blank of I am? I am much more confident now than I was even you know, just a couple of years ago, it takes a long time to build that. And to be honest, when people say fake it till you make it, it's really true. <laughs> Eventually you'll start believing it. You know, if you pretend long enough, you're like, okay, well, I'm pretending I can do this and I'm doing it. So I know what I'm doing. You know, it's, it can be scary to jump from school to right into the workforce. It's very different. And I took my time to learn and to sit back and watch, but eventually the longer you're at a job or, or in school or whatever, you become the expert. You become the person that someone else is looking up to. So I've definitely become more confident, more outgoing than I was. I kind of can talk to anyone about anything at this point. And it's really boosted my public speaking skills, having been on TikTok, because all it takes is for you to make, you know, one little misstep or misspeak just a little bit. And everyone's caught it in the comments. So I've gotten much better at making sure I'm articulating what I'm actually meaning. It's not always perfect, but I've, I've gotten much better at it. Well, and none of us are perfect. And I think that is a concern a lot of people have joining the workforce. Is there anything you can say about making a mistake, maybe as a young professional and what you learned from it that you were able to bounce back? Absolutely. And I think this relates really well to embryology because it can be a really high pressure situation. I never really felt that pressure, but I know a lot of embryologists do because you are, you are working with, you know, embryos that someone has potentially worked a very long time to create. They're very expensive. You know, they've got all their hopes and dreams on this little embryo. So I think that puts a lot of pressure on embryologists, but going into a field thinking you're not going to make a mistake is unrealistic. It's going to happen. I mean, once I 
accepted I can do my best and that's all I can do if I've left the day feeling like I've done everything I can I put in a hundred percent that's enough for me and it took a while to get that way because you know you are you're like you want everything to be perfect and you want it to be great but at the end of the day I have to be okay with knowing that I did my best and others around you if they know that you're doing your best are only going to be there to help you when you fall and you know teach you and the good bosses and the good the good teams of people that you're working with are only going to be there to support you and help push you on your journey because they've been there too. They've, they've made them those mistakes and may be able to help you from making one that they made and you may make a different one and they'll help you pick that one up too. Such good, good points there. I'm wondering too, if you can address being a woman of color in the workforce. We're, we're hearing a lot about organizations wanting to ensure that they have diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. What's that been like for you? Now, I will say, thankfully, I've had a really good experience for the most part. You know, the clinic that I worked at really was very diverse. It was only a clinic of about 20 people, but you know, five or six were people of color and women of color, which for me, I was like, I don't know how they found all these women of color, but they made an effort to make sure that they were providing a diverse environment because the amount of messages, I mean, I, I can count probably five or six messages I've gotten from people that will say, I love seeing someone who looks like me doing this. I loved coming into the clinic and seeing someone who looked like me, knowing that they were giving me care. And so that makes me push even harder because I'm like, if I'm showing people that a person of color, a woman of color is doing these things, then they're more likely to get treatment. They're more likely to become an embryologist, all of these things. So thankfully I was in a good place where they, they did work hard to make sure that there was a diverse group of team members at the clinic. That's so nice to hear. And, and even on campus now, there's just so much of a push for that. And we have a, a new leader in our student affairs arena who is a, a female of color that we're so excited about because now students can see, you know, someone with their doctorate degree that they can look up to, like you said, that they can relate to. All right. So we're at our last question, which is our future question. Um, let's get in our time machine and just have you fill in this blank. I will be... Oh man, this one's hard because I have so many ideas on, on where I want to see myself. I guess the biggest thing is I will be successful. I know I will. I mean, at this point I I've worked hard enough that I, I believe I will be successful. You know, I always tell my husband that when I meet Oprah is when I know that I, you know, made it to the top and, you know, we're working there slowly, but surely maybe one day I'll, I'll meet her and she doesn't have her show like she used to, but <laughs> meeting her would be enough. So yes, I will be successful. I will have a great work-life balance. That's something that's become more and more important to me over the last couple of years. I don't have a family yet, but I would like one at some point. And, you know, jobs are great and I'm passionate about my job. I love what I do, but that's not my whole identity. I'm a person outside of that. And I really want to make sure that I cultivate that person as well, not just the person that, that does the job. So that, that balance, and I know that's not just me. Everyone I know has that struggle. If, if you're really passionate about what you do, it feels like it consumes your whole life. So, you know, just making sure I strike up that good work-life balance and keeping that steady is something I will do. <laughs> you will, you will. Elise Daniel, I can't wait to follow your journey. We will link up in our show notes to all the social media handles. Thank you, my friend. Yes, thank you for having me. 